Hello and welcome to the Venture Property Podcast. And I'd just like to take this second or two to thank you all for listening, whatever you're up to today, whether you're driving, at work. Just going to give you a brief intro now into this podcast. Following on from last week's podcast with Nick Carlisle, I have with me today Kevin Wright and we're going to discuss another key issue for property people and that is finance. Today, as always, we are sponsored by Real Estate Slackers, which is a free Slack group which John Corey and I have created. Anyone can get access to that. You just go to realestateslackers.com. So, Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous. Thank you very much, Ron. I always like how positive you are. (laughs) So, why don't you start by giving those people who don't know you a brief insight what you do, why you got into property, and just a bit of a history about you. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Um, well, um, I, I got into property by doing my first refurb some time ago. Actually, it was 1983. Um, so, and since that time, um, um, I've been a landlord, still a landlord. Um, done various things. Uh, I mean, I was doing HMOs 30 years ago. Um, they weren't called HMOs then. But uh, I just thought it would be easier to rent by the room and make more money. You know, so nothing's really changed in that with a bit more legislation now and all that sort of thing. Um, I've done a new build. Um, I've done conversions. Um, so, yeah. Um, but um, I've always been part-time in property because uh, my other passion, if you like, is pro- finance and specifically property finance. So um, I've been a broker for uh, now, well, 25 years, since 1992. Uh, probably about the last uh, 10 to 15 years, um, focused on investors, property investors, you know, to the point where, you know, in recent years, uh, I don't deal with anyone else on the broken side. Mm. Um, so, you know, uh, through my um, brokerage, Positive Property Finance, we have... Um, every type of finance that a property investor would need. Um, so whether it's just from a, a you know, standard buy-to-let mortgage, um, you know, right up to, um, you know, through commercial mortgages, right up to bridging and development finance. Um, so, you know, the, the nice thing is that I get to choose who I, who I do business with, and I do business with people that are into property, because it fascinates me as much as it has done, you know, since I was a much younger man. So. Um, <clears throat> and that sort of specialist knowledge um, in terms of you know bridging and development finance in particular um, led me to uh, start training people on that um, five years ago uh, in 2000 and uh, beginning of 2013 um, and I now run a, um, a two-day workshop um, which is called the Mindry Investor Program running at various um, venues across the country and uh, I also have uh, online stuff where you can listen to audio or or, um, or visual uh, recordings of the same material mm-hmm. um, so um, and it just it teaches people how to be creative in property um, so there's a phrase called momentum investing um, which means that um, you've got to keep turning your cash over if you're if you're going to make any real progress in property, um, and I teach people how to do it, I teach people how to buy 
uh, more properties faster with less, less cash. Um, and also teach people that um, it's perfectly um, achievable to operate as a cash buyer in property without a massive bank balance. Um, you don't need perfect credit and you don't need a big income. That's one of the things that I remember when me and Kim met you a long time ago now in, in Starbucks, which used to be our old office. Yeah. You went into a bit of detail into quite a few of the strategies which uh, you teach people, which we were very, very grateful for. And um, yeah, I'm going to now shut up and let you break into some of that content. Okay. So excellent. I'll jump in or Kim might jump in with some questions yeah, as we're joined with Kim today. Yeah, um, so yeah, we'll let you crack on. Excellent. Um, so yeah, it's all about, um, uh, I mean, I teach people to um, really uh, punch above their weight. So people who tend to play a smaller game than they're capable of because they don't know the the uh, extent of creative finance that's available. Um, but when they are, when I teach, when I train them, um, they understand they can play. Uh, and typically, they would um, then elevate their game to to uh, deals two to three hundred percent bigger than they previously did. Um, so, but I'm going to touch on a couple of uh, things today. Um, and it's really very relevant. We're in the first week of October in 2017, um, and something quite significant has happened in terms of mortgages this week, and that is the introduction of the portfolio landlord underwriting process. Um, this has um, uh, been introduced as a directive from the, uh, one of the regulators, which is the Prudential Regulatory Authority, or PRA. Um, and they've um, put a directive in place. So I'm going to explain what the directive is, um, what's going to be required, who's covered by it, what's going to be required, and how there's actually a massive opportunity that this presents for people with the right mindset. Uh, and then, um, depending on how much time we've got, we'll see if there's, we can squeeze some other stuff in as well. So um, the change is essentially, um, PRA have decided that landlords need to be uh, split into two groups, um, simply uh, amateur or professional landlords is, is one way to describe it. That's not my way to describe it because it's, it's an easily understood terms. Now you don't need to be full time in property to be a professional landlord under this um, description and the reason is that um, the dividing line is three properties. So if you've got three or fewer properties, um, and that's properties that you own in your own name, or in a limited company, or a combination of the two, or that you've got a share in, um, if it's three or less, you're classed as a, an amateur landlord. And when you apply for mortgages, it's pretty much the same as you've done previously. So um, they'll be treating the property application almost in isolation. Yeah? The big difference is when you own four or more or when you're buying your fourth property because now you're treated as a professional landlord. Um, the term that's used is portfolio landlord. Um, so um, that, that's the actual term. Now, the underwriting process 
the portfolio landlords has changed significantly. And the best way I can describe it is that they've made mortgage lenders put mortgage applications on the same footings as business loans. So, you know, if you if you if you ever have or if you know someone that's gone for a business loan, you know, whether they own I don't know, a kebab shop or or you know or, or uh, you know, hairdressers or, or anything like that and you want a business loan, there's a whole load of hoops that more, uh, banks want you to jump through. Um, and for um, portfolio landlords now, it's very much akin to that. So you're going to be asked to provide a lot more information and they, they are not allowed to view that mortgage application for the property that you want to buy or refinance in isolation. They've got to take a holistic view of your property business as a whole. Now, that means that you've got to do a lot more preparation um, <clears throat> because you're going to be asked to submit a lot more documentation. So let's let's sort of just cover some of some, some of the things off, and you'll see it's a bit different from how it used to be. Okay. So um, you need to do a business plan. So you need to do a credible, robust business plan for your property business. You need to uh, provide historic cash flow, and you need to do a, um, a projection, a projected cash flow. So cash flow forecasts. You'll need to provide evidence of your tax paid. Could be through SA302s or whichever other, you know, however you trade. Um, you're gonna need to do a, a complete breakdown of your portfolio. Typically that'd be on a spreadsheet. You've probably got that already for a lot of landlords as well, don't you? Um, as well as all the other things that you've been used to providing for a mortgage anyway. So um, you know, more work for you in terms of um, what you need to provide in terms of application process, more work for a broker in collating all of that, and more work for a lender in reviewing and underwriting. Um, so I'm guessing that the lenders are not particularly pleased about having to do this, but they've got no choice. Um, so um, essentially what they're looking at is, rather than just does the rent cover the mortgage, which is pretty much what it was before, is are you solvent, are you profitable, are you sustainable as a business, as a landlord business? Um, so, and I'm guessing some people won't be. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it, it could, for some people, may make it more challenging to get a mortgage. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's early days yet, and we're going to see over the next, I guess, probably six to 12 months how this plays out. And actually, what are the implications I think there's one clear implication um, that it's going to take longer to get a mortgage. Um, Can I just ask a question there, Kelly? Sure. Um, I mean, obviously one of the big questions is about um, really obviously existing landlords, portfolio landlords, uh, got a bigger portfolio. Often the debt is all that taken into consideration with interest rates. Absolutely. Because right now, obviously, in, in, in 
Uncle Brown called Bowling for so long and yeah. we for a while yeah. and it felt like we were done. Yeah. But ultimately, are the lenders or will the lenders be looking and thinking, well, they're going to set a number on that? You know, are they, will they say, right, okay, for that portfolio, we're going to put X amount of money into the lender rate today? When, and part of the business plan, Will they, will they say, right, okay, we're going to work that out and pay 5% interest or 6%? Will they put a figure on that moving forward? Well, um, I mean, a, a lot of that remains to be seen. Um, but um, uh, I, I think what, what they w will do is they will look at the um, viability of that and almost certainly they will stress test some in interest rate rises mm. into your portfolio to see how you, how you would... You know how your rented income would look yeah. um, with, with a few interest rate rises. So I'm, I'm sure that will be part of it. Um, but it's, um, I guess that you could say, well, what is the PRA's objective here? I think it's to stop landlords, portfolio landlords, and, and I guess significant portfolio landlords over leveraging themselves, falling over. And then having to dump a load of properties on the on the market, which could act as a depressing effect um, on a housing market in a particular area. And you know, if it was to happen um, uh, countrywide, um, you know, it could um, depress the housing market. But of course, the housing market is an integral part of the general economy. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, I think recent um, uh, evidence was that you know. One in five mortgages now is an investment mortgage, you know, whether you call it buy to let or commercial. You know. So um, you know it's a big part of the economy. So if that tanks, um, then it's going to drag down the whole housing market. And you know the first phase of this with the PRA was introduced in January, where they um, altered the mortgage to rent ratios, um, and essentially for a given rent. You'd now get a smaller, smaller loan, um, and that was another um, factor in making, um, uh, forcing landlords to be better capitalised. And the other thing that, that they very clearly steered it to is pushing landlords into getting five-year um, fixed rates or longer, um, because they give you a preferential rent-to-mortgage ratio on five-year plus deals. Mm. Now, to me, clear. Uh, Objective there is, if you've got more landlords in five year in five year deals, with hefty redemption penalties, if they if they jump out, they're less likely to, on a spur of the moment, decide to put property on their property on the market. So it's a way of um, you know they've, they've ship guided you down, taking longer term fixed rate deals so that you're in the market for longer. And therefore, again, you don't. There's not this mass dumping on the market. You, you find that quite ironic in a way to do with the, the S24 kind yes. of thing, because ultimately we're all saying, oh, the reason that the, yeah. there's much of this is to push landlords yeah. to want to go on the market. There's almost like a contradiction there in in two phases. There, I, uh, there is. So, you know, is there any joined up thinking there? Well, yeah. well I, 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 I'm, not. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but um, I 
think there's a clear push to, to get rid of accidental landlords. Yeah. You know, I, I think I read a statistic um, some time ago which says there's around, around about 2 million landlords in the UK and about 70% only have one property. Wow. Wow. That's huge. So, yeah, yeah. you know, so is, is it that load they're trying yeah. to get rid of and shunt out of the market yeah. um, and and leave it for more professional professional yeah. uh, people? So, you know, I mean, you can only sort of guess at guess at their, at their you know, at their thinking. Mm. But I know there was concern that, that the rental, you know, the private rental sector now takes a huge chunk of the UK property market. So they needed, they felt they needed to put some some measures in place yeah. to um, to reduce the risk, in their view, reduce the risk of masses of properties being dumped on the market. Eventually on the on the on the UK market, so you know that was behind it. Um, so <clears throat> those are the changes, um, and you know all lenders pretty much have uh, are, are governed by the PRA, with very few exceptions. So they've they've got to abide by these things. Now, from here's what we've is what we've noticed from previous um, initiatives of the same thing. When a new directive comes in, the lenders overzealously apply it to begin with because they're running scared of the FCA and the PRA and they don't want to be censured and possibly fined when they have their inspection business. So they'll, if there's a line there, they're going to go beyond that line and over apply the the new directives and then pull it back once they've had an, an FCA inspection or two um, and they've give, been given a green light and maybe some guidance on where they can slacken back a bit. So I think that the, the next few months, you know, possibly the next six to, six to 12 months, um, are going to see lenders overzealously applying these new directives, um, which means it's going to take them even longer to process mortgages. So the being people out there saying patience, so we've got to start becoming more more patient yeah. with, with yeah. and also planning wise and the first reaction today is where you go, well, well okay, when you're looking at a deal, what needs to do is you know, the old saying is you stack up a deal. Mm. You know, when you stack a deal you know, you're holding that all the time and it's like what strikes me there is you go like that's an absolute fact, you stack up a fact, you look at the numbers out and your timing is more interesting. So I think you know um, it's prudent to, for the next few months at least, to expect you know, a mortgage a mortgage application for a portfolio landlord to take anything between four and six months. Well, that's happening yeah. right. That's happening yeah. right now for us. So it's, yeah. it's just an experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in, in, in you know, I mean, I keep a, um, a regular you know interaction with Facebook. I'm, I'm on numerous um, property Facebook. What we've seen is some lenders applying these regulations in advance. So some lenders have been doing it for the last three or four months. So they said, well, if, if we're going to do it, and we've got to do it, why wait till the 1st of October? Let's get yeah. it in early. Yeah. You know, and let's bed it in. Yeah. And um, um, I, I, I replied to a guy that posted up um, just yesterday 
he's just done a remortgage, not a purchase, um, as a you know under portfolio landlord um, criteria, using his limited company, and it's taken him four months to do a remortgage. Wow. Not a purchase. Four months. Tell us all, all back to the good old days. Let's go back to the good old days. Unfortunately, not. So you know, so as I said, four to six months, I think, is realistic. Yeah. Now, um, I've spoke to someone else in the last couple of weeks, going through the same process as a portfolio with portfolio landlord underwriting for purchases, and he's lost two deals. Um, yeah, I could see that because it's taken too long. Yeah. The, because the sellers just got fed up and yeah. said, you know, "Stuff it, I'm putting it back on the market." Yeah, yeah. I can yeah. see yeah. that. So I, yeah, now. Herein lies the opportunity that I spoke of. Because for some smart investors over the next six to 12 months, there's a massive opportunity in property rental. Got me all excited now. (laughs) Well, um, those people that don't need mortgages and can complete within 28 days or less are going to have a unique advantage in the market. And they're just going to go in and pick up the deals that fall out of bed or just grab them in the first place. Can we just switch this uh, podcast up right now? You're about to spill it. So, you know, and I've been, for the last um, few weeks, certainly, I've been teaching this on my workshops and, and some of the meetings that I run about the scale of this opportunity. Uh, you know, now, all of my teaching is around how to how to operate as a cash buyer, whether you've got the cash or not. Mm. Um, so it's about ado- adopting the behaviours and modelling the way that cash buyers work um, to do more and to play a bigger game in property. So you know, it's thinking how cash buyers think, um, acting how cash buyers act, behaving how cash buyers behave, negotiating how cash buyers negotiate buying the properties in some cases that only cash buyers can buy and you end up making the profits that cash buyers usually make Mm. Um, so you know and that's been consistent theme of my teaching for you know the last five years Mm. Um, but the issue now is that with people who know how to do that people who know how to leverage finance that allows you to complete in 28 days are going to have a clear run Mm. at picking up whatever property they want over the next six to twelve months, um, so um, and you know, anyone that's uh, that I've trained or that's um, um, bought any of my products, um, or indeed has heard me speak at property meetings, uh, you know, in recent years, will know that you know I teach people that bridging finance um, is the way to achieve all of this. Um, you know, uh, it's the sake of all, sake of openness. I remember when we had. Ryan mentioned the conversation we've had in the mm. start of the play with Starbucks where we our, our first office across the toilet um, and we set up together and mostly we met myself and so on and it, it, we dropped in at the time where we were um, looking at possible deals and I said the tired was the better word uh, HMO and so was the, the interest my friend who actually died I knew I knew a guy that died his wife we had the conversation at the time and I was toying with different ways to do it and actually I thought that I could do it the, the way I wanted to do it and do every 
I teach people is to is to adopt contrarian thinking, mm. and, um, and you know Warren Buffett probably teaches it a lot better than me, and has had a lot more success than me. <laughs> but uh, you know, essentially, he's, he's you know he, he says the same thing: um, watch what the herd is doing and do the opposite. Yeah, you know, um, and you know, using bridging finance is um, is definitely not um, mass market stuff because it's got a you know a very bad um, reputation, um, undeserved, um, really. But um, you know, and you know, I like my little sayings, and, and, and one of them is that um, bridging finance is the first choice of the intelligent investor, not the last resort of the desperate investor. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. That's good. That's yeah. a mindset. That is a mindset. Change. Change. It is a mindset. Yeah. Change, yeah. Change. Yeah. yeah. I, I teach people to have a completely different mindset around bridging finance and understand that, you know, in in, um, in golf club te te uh, terminology, you know, it, it, it's your wood driver. Yeah. You know, it's your biggest hitter. Yeah. Why are you uh, talking? In your, in your bag. Yeah, don't get me on golf. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, uh, used, used intelligently, and this is the key, yeah. used intelligently and with mm -hmm. knowledge, it, it, it's the deal maker, not the deal breaker. Mm. You know, and you know, I teach people that um, um, most of the things they understand about bridging are actually wrong. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it is contrarian in its nature, and it works um, on a completely different underwriting level and basis than mortgages. So a simple thing I say to people is take everything you know about mortgages and how they're underwritten how you apply and how you get the mortgage, turn it on its head, and that's how bridging finance works. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, so the people that can um, leverage and enhance um, and engage with, with using bridging finance to buy a property are going to clean up over the next six to 12 months, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I can see that. I can yeah. definitely see that. Yeah. So, um, and I should certainly be teaching. You know, all, all of my students over the next mm. few months at the workshops that I run mm. um, and the meetings that I run, the Procedo, um, uh, I'm going to make that point very, very strongly and I'm mm. going to show them how they can do exactly, step by step, yeah. how they can do that. Yeah, yeah, because it's just like they've ruined it away. I mean, I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've sold a property on the day over the years and I've just been used to getting good rules and you do get to use a mindset.
perfect, but then the next shot from the map is here, so they're yeah. from the same seat. Whereas they get to respond very fast to the, the negative, the, the opposite of the RA, the negative of the opposite, and the opposite of the RA, so they can just kind of line them up. Well, I think they, you know, there's, there's clearly two types of bet. There's dumb bet and smart bet. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and it's important to know the difference. But, uh, yeah. What do you think the difference is? Um, that dumb debt um, makes you poorer, and smart debt makes you wealthy. Mm. So you know, sticking your, um, you know, paying for your holiday on uh, on a credit card and then spending a year year paying it off, you know, and, and essentially living beyond your means. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so if you're piling up um, personal debt. On lifestyle mm. things, um, that, that that's not smart there. Mm. Um, but but borrowing money to to um, get an, get a uh, an income producing asset that, yeah. that will appreciate in time um, and allow you to pay down that debt by the income that it produces, that's smart. What's what's the bigger point there? What's what's your attitude to controlling payments by talking to people? Um, people, landlords. Uh, I mean, if landlords are in it for the for the for the duration, then you know it can be a twenty or thirty year game plan. Yeah. Um, if you're young enough. Um, I like how you look at me when you say <laughs> that. Thank you. Who's the biggest asset? Yeah. Time is my biggest asset. Yeah. Of course it is. Especially yeah, yeah. involved in. in the, yeah. 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 And the, I'd say the same for shelters as well. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, so typically in when you're expanding, um, you'll use interest only because you want to maximise cash flow. Mm. Um, but there comes a pivotal point where either you've reached the level that you're comfortable um, at um, or you're moving on to bigger things um, where you start actually paying down debt because you, you, you're then um, focusing on getting um, debt free with either the same or a smaller size portfolio at some later point of your life, because then you just don't, you need less properties um, if it's all if it's just all cash. And people do that different ways. Sometimes they they pay down um, their mortgages um, and uh, e either um, overpay monthly, overpay with lump sums, or switch it on to a repayment mortgage entirely, hundred percent repayment. Or just switch part of it over, because mm. most lenders, if you if you if you uh, called up your lender uh, and said, "Can I just switch and make make it twenty percent repayment?" Um, they would do that mm. without without incurring redemption penalties mm. if yeah. you're if you're part way through a through a fixed rate period. That's a really good tip, actually. Yeah, that is a good tip as well. Oh. <laughs> Kevin's phone's ringing right in the middle. That's to do with your next call. There we are. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Somebody's signing up already. already. And, they, and they want another call. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always, always turn your phone off before uh, you do anything. I was just going to say, that's an interesting uh, observation, actually, because you, you always presume that these are your, your numbers, your drawings. Uh, and again, this is, this is speaking from somebody who Down or down, or so 
dogs and more. So, yeah, and, the and that's yeah. another way. You know, sell some off, use the cat they're talking to, hay down more of your, mm. more of your, um, yeah. of your. It's interesting what you say there, though, because a lot of landlords out there, I bet, just don't realise actually that if you can get in contact with them and say, right, I just want to allocate twenty percent of that, or or whatever, twenty or twenty or thirty percent, whatever. You tend to do your numbers based on yeah. the fact that you look at the mortgage and you go, well, yeah. that's costing me three hundred pound a month, but sometimes repayment it might be 30% more, 30% more. Yeah. 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 I think the um, uh, the uh, belief is that it's got to be all repayment or all interest only yeah 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 so uh, you know uh, someone might think I can't afford to switch to full repayment therefore I'm stuck with interest only mm -hmm. um, but uh, and also uh, you know if you're not refinancing and pulling extra equity out then over time, your cash flow per month should get bigger because your mortgage cost should stay more or less the same, but your rent increases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so therefore, you know, over like a five to ten year yeah. period, yeah. Um, it's possible to to progressively switch a bigger percentage of your of your mortgage um, to repayment and start paying it down. Mm -hmm. I'm all for paying down. Yeah, always have been. Yeah, you know, it's a, you know, and. I guess you know if you pay down enough at, at, at the right point in your life, it's surprising how many how few properties you need yeah. to yeah. fund the lifestyle you want. That's exactly been yeah. my whole goal in property yeah. since I started. You know, I mean, clearly you don't need fifty properties. No, you know, if they're un all unencumbered, yeah, to, to support your lifestyle. Exactly. And unless you want to do the private jet type of thing, yeah, uh, you know, and that sort of lifestyle. But most people's you know comfortable lifestyle. Less property, less tenants. Yeah. Less asset. Yeah, less asset. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So so I think that's yeah. So so that's um so I think that covers the um these PRA changes and then mm. and I think there's um uh again that huge opportunity and you know we'll probably give my contact details. Yeah. Um, um might as well do it now. Um so if anyone wants to, to contact me, um, you can email me. Um, it's my name, uh, Kevin Wright at thinkpositively.co.uk um, or my uh, direct number 07 889 526 979. Um, so if you've got any questions or you want any um, information about how I could train you um, to take advantage of this opportunity that I see coming up um, you know for, for the rest of 2017 and the majority of 2018 and possibly beyond um, just get, get in touch um, now have we got time to, to deal with another subject we have indeed because okay. I know you're quite passionate about this one aren't you yeah um, you know uh, I guess you could say it's the abuse of mortgages for the purposes of Serviced accommodation. Um, Kim's well laughing now. Hey? Very well put. Yeah. yeah. Um, mirroring as uh, you know a, a longer uh, uh, running abuse of mortgages for rent to rent purposes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, you know, I mean, serviced accommodation. Um, you know. As we sit here in 2017, is 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 the hot topic 
It's the new buzzword. It's, isn't it? Yeah, it's a new buzzword. Yeah, um, it's not a new. It's not a new concept, mm. but it's a new concept um, broadly appreciated. You know, so you go back two or three years, um, no one was training on service accommodation. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, now you see what two, three, four um, training programs on service accommodation. You know, and there's nothing wrong with training people to do service accommodation. You know, it's a perfectly um, in in the right set setup in the right circumstances, it's a perfectly valid um, strategy. Perfectly valid. Mm-hmm. Um, the question comes to be, how do you fund it? Um, now, for the vast majority of lenders, whether that's what I would call vanilla buy-to-let lenders, more specialist lenders, um, or even com- you know some some commercial lenders, um, they. Um, they set terms and conditions out. And one of the terms and conditions they set down is the minimum and maximum tenancy agreement that they allow whilst you've got a mortgage with them. And in the majority of cases, uh, the maximum is 12 months and the minimum is six months. So if you're going to rent your property out for less than, less than a six-month tenancy uh, arrangement, you're in breach of conditions, mm. and um, now there's this perception um, that as long as you pay the mortgage, then they don't care what you do with the property, and that's absolutely not the case. And it's even more not the case with some lenders than others. So um, if lenders um, uh, see there's a clear breach in in their terms and conditions. Um, They'll generally tell you to um, write a letter, what cease and desist letter, mm-hmm. really. Um, but it, it, if if that's ignored, then they will take um, uh, further action um, as they see fit, mm-hmm. culminating in um, calling in the mortgage. So, so just the point there about that's the same point as well, a similar point I would say to the fact that somebody has a buy to let it's the same kind of umbrella. It's the same, yeah, it's the same thing. Some, well, that, that, that's a that's a, um, a sub strategy within service accommodation. So service accommodation is you can buy it, um, but you can also um, lease yeah, it yeah, or rent it. Yeah, so it's perfectly yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Um, but um, so a lot again, picking up on your on your um, point there, a lot of mortgage lenders terms and conditions, particularly by to, you know, the standard buy to let ones, um, are that they only allow a single AST. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so therefore running running multiple ASTs breaches their conditions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do t- this is where a lot of a lot of investors have been caught out, because when you convert to an HMO that's licensable, mm-hmm. when you apply for your license, yeah. the council 
needs to know who your mortgage lender is, yeah. and they let them know you're yeah. net, you're applying for a license. Yeah. Which is a bit of a problem if you haven't got a mortgage that allows you to do that. Yeah. Um, and you know you see and see that quite regularly on Facebook. People um, post the cease and desist notice they've got from their mortgage lender. Um, and to be fair, sometimes it's not always their fault. I mean, I saw a, um, a post on Facebook earlier this year where um, the uh, the landlord or the investor had quite correctly asked their mortgage broker, which worked for the estate agent that they bought the property through, that they wanted to use an HMO mortgage. And they were assured that um, they've got an HMO mortgage product. It turns out they hadn't. So, you know, in, 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 in terms of what they knew they were doing, they thought they were doing it right. It's just that the mortgage yeah. broker didn't understand yeah, yeah. The, the difference uh, <laughs> between an HMO yeah. uh, mortgage and a, and a standard buy-to-let mortgage, yeah. which is worrying. Yeah, very much so. Um, so, um, but yeah, so, you know, going back to that, the same thing is, is true. So um, if you're going to run serviced accommodation, it has to be the right type of mortgage or um, you have to get specific consent from your mortgage lender to do it. Um, and that won't be given easily. Mm. Because it, it, it is, it, you know, the reason that their, their terms and conditions are there are that, um, you know, um, that short-term letting is contrary um, to how they want their security used, mm. you know. So, <clears throat> um, so the issue on this is, what's the correct mortgage for for a service service accommodation usage of a property? Um, and it's commercial mortgages. Mm. Now, um, for commercial lenders, you know, pure proper commercial lenders, short term letting is nothing for them. They've been funding short-term let propositions for decades. Um, they're the more accepted ones, so hotels, B&Bs, guest houses, to a degree holiday lets, and even kennels and caddies. Different clientele, but exactly the same proposition. Yeah, staying for a short stay. Yeah. Exactly the same. Sometimes just for a night or two. Yeah, you know. So, um, so they understand short-term letting very, very well. So you know, when when you give them a short-term let, uh, you know, Airbnb type proposition, it's not going to baffle them. Yeah, they already know it. In, they know it. It's just oh yeah. So this is just a variation of what we already know. So so they've got a clear process um, on how they underwrite those things. To understand what the process is, I think it's worth spending a little, uh, you know, a little bit of time, a few minutes, in on that. Now, contrast it with an HMO um, for a minute. The big thing a lender wants to know is how you're going to make the mortgage payment every month. Are you going to make it or are you going to be in arrears? Because we don't want to lend to you if you're going to be in arrears, obviously. So, with an HMO, quite simple. Six bedroom HMO, I've got six, a six ASTs, here they are, and here's a bank statement to show that um, the money going in. Uh, in terms of a remortgage, you know, if you've converted it to an HMO, now you're refinancing it. Um, or, or possibly even a, here's a projection, you know, here's a purchase of an, a ready-made HMO. Well, actually, if it's a ready-made HMO, 
we'd have the same thing because the owner, because yeah, the owner, yeah. the owner would have would yeah. have all that in. So, um, ASTs, bank statements. Yep, we can see that you're 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 generating three grand a month. Okay, so now we've got a benchmark on what 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 income you've got. Now we know how much to lend you, so that you'll always be able to afford it. So that's that's the basis that, that lenders like to get to, and I've used the HMO um, example um, uh, specifically because when we look at um, surface accommodation, we'll use that as a contrast and compare. So now you you go to your commercial lender who understands short-term lending, so they're quite happy with you doing Airbnb. And now you say, how much are you going to lend me? And they want to get in the same position. Where they've got the certainty um, of your three thousand pound a month for your six um, bed HMO, they want to get to the same point there. But here's a difficulty: with service accommodation, what's your income? Absolutely. You don't know yeah. because you could be full for one week, you and could be empty the, the rest of the month. Yeah, yeah. So there's no way to, in, in unlike with an HMO, there's no way to future predict. Simply. What your income is going to be, and therefore, how much they can afford to lend you. So, um, how do they do it? Um, they they look at it on historical basis. So, if you've, um, I'm going to cover how it works with people that have got um, an existing service accommodation business, and then I'm going to uh, highlight how you deal with it if you haven't, because a lot of the people that are coming off the courses for service accommodation clearly haven't got a service accommodation business, they're just about to start it. Mm. So that presents them with a barrier um, to getting a legitimate um, service accommodation mortgage. So let's look at how you do it um, when you're up and running, and then I'll look at um, how you overcome the challenges when, when you're starting off. So if you've, got an, if you've got a service accommodation business up and running, um, the lender says, right, how successful have you been with your service accommodation business. And they would ask you for your occupancy levels mm. for the previous 12 months. And that may be, well, I don't know, 78%. Now, why is it 12 months? Because um, you have seasonal fluctuations, mm. both in terms of your occupancy and often um, the, ch the, the, the per night charge that you make. So just to give you an example, um, I looked at funding a service accommodation proposition uh, for someone in Edinburgh. Now, if you're in Edinburgh, the price you can charge in August goes through the roof with with the festival. So, you know, there's tens of thousands of people swarming all around Edinburgh for the best part of August, desperate for somewhere to stay. So, and hotels do do exactly the same. They're they're constantly oscillating their their per night prices according to perceived demand. And when demand is high, they cash in um, and charge two or three times you know, the nightly rate. And then if in, in quieter times, they'll drop their nightly rate um, just to get some, some occupancy. So lenders, want, lenders understand that both your, um, your occupancy rate fluctuates throughout, throughout different parts of the you know, different seasons and the, and the price you would charge. So they want a 12-month history um, of your occupancy level uh, to see where you hit. So let's say you, your existing um, 
service accommodation business achieves 78% occupancy. So they say, okay. Um, but of course, the property you want to buy, you can't have a historic occupancy rate because you haven't bought it yet. So, so how do they look at that? So what they want is you to work out what your uh, income level is if you if you were full 365 days a year with all the seasonal fluctuations. Okay. So and then with that figure, they'll apply your historical percentage rate. So let's say it's fifty thousand pounds a year if you manage to hit 365 day, uh, days a year occupancy. You won't. But, but if you did, okay, so 50,000 pounds a year, well, we know you don't hit, the lender's saying we know you don't hit 100% because you've shown us that you hit 78%. So we're gonna take 78% of 50,000, that gives us whatever that figure is, I haven't got a calculator hand, but that doesn't matter. Um, right, so now we're back, now we've got to the point where, we, where the lender was at with your six bed HMO mm. at three grand a month. Now we can say, okay, now we see this is what we're going to project. Um, you're going to, this, thing, this property's going to turn over because we think if you can fill 78% of your rooms on your existing business, you'll do, this, you'll do pretty much the same mm. on this new property once you bring that into the business. Yeah? And then they base their lending on that. So um, if you've got a, um, in, in any given area where you're buying a property, if you already run a serviced accommodation business, that's how you that's how it's applied. Um, not not too difficult to get um, a proper commercial mortgage from a lender that understands serviced accommodation. Would, 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 then, would, would then the lender at, at those levels normally say, right, okay, or would you would you presume that at those levels the, the loan to value would be less well, than that kind of product? I mean, say an HMO. Yeah, I mean the loan to values would be whatever the lender's loan maximum loan to value is, so 70, 75 yeah. percent. Um, but just because just because they get a um, you know a percentage pro loan to value product doesn't mean you can borrow that percentage. No. And we've, se and we've seen that with you know ordinary mortgages, ordinary buy to let mortgages this year with the with the higher um, uh, rent to mortgage uh, payment ratio. Yeah. That, you know, uh, people aren't uh, even though well, it, it varies. You know, in in, uh, in terms of um, you know the the um, whether it's a, a buoyant, high, highly priced part of the country or yeah. lower price, but um, but typically people are, are, are opting for a seventy five percent loan to value product, but the rental income isn't sufficient to take to get the full seventy five percent. So the, so the rental income, so that's a, an, you know, if you like an aspirational level, it won't be more than 75%, but okay, so now, now you're on that product, let's see you know, how much your rent qualifies you to get, mm. uh, and it's not always 75%, mm. and, the same, same, and the same in this, you know, your, your, your um, um, historical occupancy rate may not be sufficient to, for you to get the maximum which also the observation there as well then is that actually return on investment because with cash return all the kind of the barometers of investment are return on effort all these things affect that yeah. when you're comparing you know, I often see you know a forum space and all the rest of it people putting numbers out there um, and, and often I think well yeah but you're doing it in a way that you're 
not because you know, the first one or two Leicester was their villages or their occupancy uh, rate. Occupancy. All these yeah. things come into the metric and actually paint a different picture on it. Whereas mm. what I do see a lot is just black and white. Yeah, and I think the um, yeah now the thing that's probably going to be of more interest to anyone listening is what happens if you haven't got a twelve-month track record mm. as a serviced accommodation operator in, in the area that you're buying a property, um, because that's um, that's where I think the majority of people that come off a serviced accommodation course are. Yeah. You know, um, so so clearly they're looking to start from scratch. How do you get? Um, how do you legitimately, transparently, get um, the right mortgage if you haven't got the basic requirement for lender wants? So um, there are three. There are three legitimate, valid workarounds to that. Um, so. One is um, uh, you pay cash for the property, and then you build up your track record over twelve months, and then you apply for a, for a, um, you know a service accommodation mortgage at the end of the twelve months. Now, when I say cash, that's your cash or someone else's cash. Yeah, yeah, both are equally valid. The phone going again. There's some silent now. Popular man. <laughs> Always am. Um, so um, yeah, so if you've got the ability uh, to buy for cash, um, or you've got the ability for, for, for someone else that that you're in, in have a connection with to put up the cash to buy it, that's clearly one workaround. Yeah. So you just run it, um, get your twelve month um, track record, and then you're perfectly acceptable um, as long as you meet the other lending criteria for the right lender. Um, so uh, clearly there will be people that haven't got the cash and haven't got access to the cash. So um, the second workaround would be to use bridging finance. Because bridging finance don't care about about track records and all that sort of thing. They just lend on the asset, as we know. Um, so um, there again, you'd use, uh, use bridging. You'd, you'd sit on it for 12 months. You'd build up your track record. Then you'd apply to the commercial lender. Now, if you've got a good cash flowing um, service accommodation property, whether it's a flat or you know, apartment, house, whatever it is, um, and it's full the majority of the month, you're probably going to be out to um, support uh, the bridging loan payments. Mm. Um, you, you're unlikely to have much profit left over, but that's not the point. This yeah. is like you're trying to build that track record. Yeah, 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 it's it, it, measure. yeah. So you know, it's a, it's a, it's a. Um, you're sacrificing your first year's profits mm. to build your credibility mm. so that you can um, have a sustainable, um, correctly funded um, service accommodation business in the future. Um, so, so that's the second one, bridging. And the third one is buddy up with an experienced local service accommodation provider. So if, if you if you know or you can find there's someone uh, in your area and it's got to be in your area, yeah. um, you know, as someone said to me once, well, you know, if I'm buying down in Cornwall, there's no point in me budding up with someone that's got a service accommodation business in London, yeah, because it's not relevant. Yeah, yeah, it's not comparable at all. Is no, it? so it's got to be you know within your, um, you know, realistically within you know 
a given radius, you know, realistic radius up to 25 miles of where it would, uh, something like that. Um, so most people, I guess, now are moving towards the limited company structure. So you'll have a limited company for your service accommodation business. So you just bring this experienced person in as a shareholder. I'll do more about um, um, how you structure that shareholding agreement um, uh, in a minute, but you, let's look at how you do it. So you bring them in as a shareholder, and then so when you go, you can make a you know an upfront approach to a, to a um, commercial service accommodation vendor, and now when they say, okay, what's your occupancy rate? Up pops your your um, business partner, your yeah. service accommodation shareholder, and says, well, on our business. We have seventy-eight percent. So the lender looks at you collectively now because you're you're part of the same mm, limited exactly. company. Yeah. yeah. So you're one entity, and one part of that entity has got um, a track record. So that forms the basis. So now you're back to where you were with I've got six tenants in an HMO mm. giving me three thousand pound a month. Okay, we can lend on that basis. Um, so. Now you might not need any cash from this this um, person at all. You'll just bring them in for their experience. Mm. Yeah, not necessarily funding it for cash. You might have got all that sorted. You might have you have the the cash um, that you need to do it. I, I was thinking equity. I was coming. I like the word equity. Yeah. Where people always talk about equity, they always think of that as money. Yeah. It's not. Equity is not just money. No. No. As a public thing. So now, clearly, you don't need this person in your business for the long term. I mean, you don't need them in your business for much more than twelve months <clears throat> until you've got your track record. Um, independently, you've got your track record in your limited company name, and after that, they're sort of surplus to requirements. So um, the way you would set it up at the start is you would give them a specific number of shares, and it has to be significant, you know, you can't give them 5% or something like that. It doesn't necessarily have to be 50%, mm. but it's got to be significant, and, and how significant might vary lender to lender. Um, but you set it up with an agreement that you would, uh, an understanding that you that at some point in the future, typically within two years, you would buy back the shares. And you would have that all set up in a legal agreement. Um, you know, share buyback agreement. So um, they would be obligated to give you first refusal. They couldn't sell it to anyone else unless you'd um, said that you don't want it. Clearly, you would because you want control of your company back. Um, and there would be a price that you would pay to buy back those shares. Yeah. And essentially, that is um, the cost of buying their experience. Now, they may be, you know, um, passive in the company, but you might actually want to call on them um, for, the, uh, you know, for guidance on how to set up your service accommodation business and get it running efficiently. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, clearly the more that they're, the more input they're having in your business, not, still not financial, yeah. they're still not putting cash in your business. Um, so the, the, the more input they're having, the more, I guess, that share buyback agreement you know figure would be um, the the other thing is that um, you're almost certainly going all shareholders gonna have to sign personal guarantees um, and when the um, 
when they when they resign as a shareholder, you know, between one and two years, then um, the bank would need to be informed yeah. of that. Um, but again, they should be okay on that because you've got a year or two's experience now running a service accommodation business. They can see what's going into the bank. Um, you know, they can see your um, historical occupancy um, rates so I think that's the best way to do it what you just said there with the with somebody in because it's not just like Kim was saying it's equity it's not just equity it's cash they've got experience in service accommodation you have done a course so you're not gonna yes you're gonna understand the logistics of it but the actual day-to-day running the issues being able to ring somebody up who's been there and done it yes it might cost you in two years to buy them out but just think how many mistakes you're going to miss you're going to be a lot further on than you ever would be if you're buying it with your own cash um i really like that way yeah it's like a mentor there they're in and and you never know what's going to happen either they might you might work really well together like me and kim do and um then you end up going on and doing bigger and better deals. There's always that possibility as well. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, if you look at those three workarounds, you know, if you're coming off a um, service accommodation course, you're brand new at it, you're fired up, it's a strategy you want to run, you know, there's no reason to finance it illegitimately. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no reason to get a normal buy-to-let mortgage um, and just um, hope that... Um, Lenders don't find out. I mean, I saw, saw a post on Facebook. Um, uh, it, was, it was one of these cease and desist notices uh, to say, um, you know, can you stop um, renting your property out on a short-term let basis? It contravenes the terms and conditions. And they, and they said, no, we're not. And then the lender wrote back and said, yes, you are. Here's your Airbnb advert. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in today's age, they can check that so yeah, quickly. Yeah, yeah, you know, everything's I mean, so transparent. Yeah, you know, I mean, lenders lenders um, might not be up to the minute on what the latest trends are, mm-hmm. but they catch on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially you know. the more noise which is being made. Yeah, you know, they ca- they catch on. You know, and there was a I said someone um, again on one of the Facebook property groups put a link to an article. Um, I think it was in the Telegraph or something like that, that the, the, the journalists had found out that actually mortgage lenders, gen, ordinary mortgage lenders, don't allow you to do Airbnb renting. Who would have thought that? So that's going to then pop up. 90 days, London, yeah. Yeah, in London, yeah. You're limited to renting it out for that amount of time. Yeah. You know, and of course there's other things. If, if you've got a... If you're in a, if you're in a, uh, it's a, it's a, uh, a flat in a block, um, you know, you may have a requirement to seek your freeholders permission mm-hmm. yeah. to do that. So there's, there's all sorts of other things. But in tenancy law, is is just a thought. In tenancy law, then, if some, if, if, if a person comes into into a property and say they rent, um, surely that person then is deemed. Even though in actual context it's in rent, is that well, one of the terms of, of the ASP? Is that if, if somebody? Because uh, the reason I say that is it, it, it 
comes from as well so the, the short yes. term let actually pays airbnb yes, the tenant right. doesn't pay yeah. you no that's right well, so yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. it's coming from yeah. airbnb and, and, and that's for the protection of the um of the um of the, the of the of the landlord yes it you is. know airbnb particularly say don't um don't yeah. operate yeah. outside yeah. No, don't pay direct because yeah. that's, yeah. that's an anti-fraud thing and that's a well, it's protection for both parties. Yeah. Yeah. if somebody rents and then sublets then that's, yeah, then that's it's, classes fraud yeah. Yeah. but also it's a it's a fraud protection for you as, I mean I stay in Airbnb you know things as you know often when I go around the country yeah. you know um, at different events um, and you know um, my as a, as a as a as a user my guarantee is that that's a legitimate property that I can rent mm. not that I turn up at the property and actually um, it was a complete scam yeah and you know I, I've paid someone but I haven't paid the person that owns the property yeah. or manages the property yeah. to, to rent that property yeah. so it's a so, quality guarantee isn't it so yeah it's a, it's a quality guarantee yeah I absolutely. think they do it very well as well yeah that's right I mean I, yeah I mean I say I often use you know Airbnb um, mm. to stay in places yeah. Great products out so, there. Yeah, there is some great yeah. ones. I do have a question which somebody has asked me to ask you. That's fair enough. Which is, I am looking at a site that has two units on it. A house zoned for residential use and a totally separate unit that is currently a tea shop on one title. The plan would be to keep the house and the shop, but it's being sold in one lot. What kind of mortgage could you get on that? Uh, good question. Um, one that comes up regularly, not always a tea shop, but um, um, in fact, um, I had the um, question last night, uh, exactly last night, someone called me and they got the opportunity to buy a cashery. Um, so, but the... It's my dream, that. There you go. Um, <laughs> you okay. I love my cats. So, the, the, where you've got residential and, and commercial use on the same thing, it can fall between two stores. Um, now, it would depend what you want to use the house for, mm -hmm. um, and um, and actually what you want to do with the tea shop. Now, the difficulty becomes whether it, when it's it, it's an owner-occupied business. Yeah. Yeah. So with the cattery last night, the people live in the house, and the cattery um, takes place on the rest of the block. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't I don't know. Obviously, whether this is the case here, or whether it's going to be rented out, or whether they're going to keep it as a tea shop or convert it to resi. I think the tea shop is going to stay as a tea, tea shop, shop and the house as a house. As house, okay. Well, if they're renting renting the house out, um, then that's okay because it's all commercial usage. Yeah. Yeah. So that would just be a um, um, you know a commercial mortgage. It wouldn't be um, an ordinary buy to let mortgage because they wouldn't let they wouldn't grant. The you know allow the commercial usage, mm. so that would be a decline as soon as a um, a normal buy to let mortgage um, 
So if I had turned up, saw the T-shirt, um, saw it in there, he'd just walk, walk away and say that's an immediate decline. We don't lend on this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's got to be the right sort of thing. And there, there again, the rental income um, has got a stack. So if you're going to use the, the house as residential units, where you're going to lend it out on one AST or rent it out by the room, then that's got a stack. Um, and also the tea shop. So are you going to run the tea shop yourself? Or are you going to lease the tea shop out to uh, a tenant that's going to run it on, on your behalf? Mm. Um, that's the simpler of the two because then you just say, "Well, I'm getting ten thousand a year." Yeah, for rent. the last. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're going to run it as your own business, so you want to run the tea shop, now it's now it's it down to okay. Now we need to see the tea shop's accounts <laughs> for the last three years yeah. and see if it's profitable enough. Um, to make uh, you know to, to give it to give the size mortgage you want um, if you're going to use it as a main residence the house and run the tea shop as well that creates a whole lot more problems and this is where B&B's um, guest houses kennels catteries all these and other businesses too that are owner occupied if you like where the owner lives on site um, because as soon as you go for a residential mortgage every residential lender says you can't do commercial on our mortgage, mm -hmm. so you can't get a, you can't get a, um, a residential mortgage as your main residence. Um, and when you go to the commercial lender, um, at point of purchase, that the, the, the mortgage is based on the income for the business. Mm. Now, what we see with the income for the business is, and, and it's staggering how clueless people are given that they're smart enough to run a business for like 20 years, whether it's, you know, bed and breakfast, cat, you know, uh, uh, taking in cats or whatever. So their focus is almost, almost exclusively, how can I pay as little tax as possible? Yeah. So in cash producing businesses, you know, um, you know, the typical thing is when you go and view it, they say, you know, well, the books show 30 grand a year. Yeah. Actually, it's 80 grand a year, but, but, but I pocket the rest. Mm. Um, so in, the, in those cash generating bit on a tea shop would be, would be a similar business. Um, you, um, as a potential buyer, you go to the bank and you say, say, well, I need three years books, go to the bank, can I have a mortgage? Yes, show us what the books are, here's the books, are you joking? So almost, almost in every circumstance, the, the, the profit that the, that the business produces is either insufficient to get any mortgage or, 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 mm. at all or a ridiculously small mortgage, which means you've got to put down an 80% cash deposit, mm. which knocks most buyers out. So now, now if, you were, if you owned this property, and they're almost always coming up to retirement. Yeah. That's the thing. So the cattery yeah. and the people um, uh, last night, they were 76 years old, run it for 20 years and now want to retire. Now you'd think that either they or their accountant would have the nous to say, look, if you want to, you know, when you're looking to sell, oh, in the next three years, right, put everything into your accounts. Yeah, pay your tax on it. Pay your tax on it. Because when you come to sell. Hmm. And look as healthy as, make, make your books look as healthy as possible. They never do. Yeah. I've looked at many hotels like that yeah. and that exact thing has happened. It is. They go, Oh yeah, well, between you and me, it's all cash, and uh, we don't declare that. 
So uh, yeah, we're actually making this, but put through the books a lot less. Yeah, that's right. So um, you know, they shoot themselves in the foot because you know the only people that can buy it, cash buyers. Yeah, which limits the market massively. And what do we know? Cash buyers do chip it. Yeah, yeah, I buy it, but yeah. I want X off it basically because right. I can yeah. buy it cash and I can be quick. Yeah, and I know you want to retire. Yeah. So do you want that cash in your pocket? Yeah. Because you've had loads of cash in your pocket yeah. anyway, haven't you? Yeah. You, you already had. Yeah. You know, this, this like, you know, 800,000 um, price you want for it. Well, you've had 400,000. In cash. In cash. Upgrades. Over the last yeah. 20 years. So those last holidays you've gone on to <laughs> the Bahamas and paid yeah. cash for it. Yeah. This is the discount now. This is yeah. the payoff. Yeah. That's the payoff. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, and those type of properties, they sit on the market typically for two or three years. Mm. Um, get multiple offers accepted. Everyone drops out when they realise you can't get a mortgage on it. Yeah. Mm. Um, their expectation of this uh, price they're going to get gradually depreciates with the passage of time, because mm. uh, you know the fact is no one gets more mo no no one le gets less motivated yeah. with the passage of time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so and then if you hit them right, um, they're they're at the point where you just say, oh, whatever we can get, you know, to to get out. Mm. Because now their retirement is two or three years later than they Obviously. they wanted it to be. Yeah, you know, and they're stuck running a business they don't really want to run. Yeah, yeah. Um, which means the profits have probably gone down further because there aren't that they're not in it. Yeah, and they're not getting the cash no. that they used to get. No. So um, yeah, so um, as I said, we don't know quite what the the residential use and, and the tea shop is, but I've I've covered I think most of the eventualities. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, uh, this podcast do her anyway and if she listens and yeah. she wants any more questions then I'll send her over to you. Yeah, fine. So that's been absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I absolutely love meeting you anyway. You always give me some really good snippets. The oracle. Yeah, he's like the oracle. He just knows it. It's the nail on the head and full of good sayings. Oh yeah. Which always helps. I think I like it's it is it is such an underrated myth when you when you're talking about D and Bs and stuff like this. It's a strange thing, isn't it, that when you look at a lot of deals and life experiences you're thinking about going to find a B&B &B now, aren't no, you? Stop chipping them. No, what, what yeah. I'm just going to say. You're looking for deals, and now your brain I've been looking at it for about probably five years after that first investment company. Ding dong. Uh, I'll never really go at it. And yeah, I knew you were going to do that. thinking, well, well, actually, yeah, in the years that have gone by, and, and when you go back over things as well, it's very easy to take information in and still not do courses and everything. Remind you that you probably did learn, but you probably forgot twenty percent of it, thirty percent of it, whatever the statistics are. And the example of that was just as when you mentioned that about the BNB and the fact that time's going down. You think, oh yeah, I remember the crack at that one. You know, they, they specifically, it's not you know, it's there. It's you know what there. this is, Kim? This is systems. 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 Well, I, well, I think, systems. I think a lot of times is you know, the, the you systems, love a system. The systems that are there, the, the modern systems, I yeah. call it, are not people to pay for anymore. Yeah, that's I'll tell you all about. Well, yeah. so that example you've just said about going back Long over week. that hotel deal that you've been looking at for years, on in Lincoln that would not happen because spreadsheet yeah. that <laughs> automatically <laughs> alerts us to yeah. go and chase up that deal, and, chase up that and deal. it's got the information, yeah. everything. So when we spoke to them, what they said, the situation, yeah. so we can go back and chase them up. Funny enough, I put a post on um, 
someone um, put a post on there said um, um, one of the um, he's one of the developer group, groups Facebook groups I mean um, seen seen a, um, an eyesore of a building make a great uh, you know uh, commercial resi conversion except that the asking price is about twice what the uh, what the proper value is mm. um, so I think I'll have to leave it and I said no don't do that wait and well. I said, you know, it, there's a clear strategy here. Mm. Um, work out what what a reasonable price to pay is. Ma make your offer, get it rejected. Mm. Um, follow up periodically to measure their um, degree of increased motivation. And I said, and buy it when when their motivation meets your price. Yeah, but it might take a year or two. Mm. Yeah, but I think longer. a lot of people in property want it now, though, don't yeah, they? That's, that's the thing, right. and they think, and you've got to be. Take the emotion out of the deal. There's always, always going to be another deal, isn't there? Always. And people just, they get so attached to it. But then the people that I think that succeed in property are the ones that can do the work on that deal, lose it, and then take what they've learned and gone into the next deal, yeah. and go into the next deal. You might have to lose 10 or 12 deals, but then you will pull one with that collective knowledge. I did this recently, yeah. Paul, just to tell me on the topic that made up a 10, 10 and a half thousand square foot plot that I own for seven time I remember looking and thinking I want that to be short um, and it took 12 years I bought it about five years ago or something like that there's a tobacco opening and saying right I'll give 500 pounds for exactly the exact same scope and you go to sale and you need a text yeah. and sure enough five months ago I got a text saying yeah. you come up for sale so and that's what it took five grand just to that quick deal mm -hmm. but, but again deals have fallen by the wayside recently haven't they it's going back over deals all the time but yep and that's one, another one of my sayings on that is, um, if they won't sell at your price, you can't buy at their price. Mm. I yeah, think that is a brilliant place to end. So <laughs> thank you very much for being on, Kevin. Okay, I'll get this out. And uh, yeah, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, just give those contact details again. Yeah. Uh, email address is kevinwright at thinkpositively.co.uk. Phone number 07. 889-526-979. That is absolutely fantastic. I think we'll all agree that that has been brilliant. So once again, thank you, Kevin. You're very welcome.